Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to chapter 2, verse 14. Please follow along on the screens behind me or in your church programs. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my precious way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those deemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognised that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me, the, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to this circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, 
So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Well, uh, keep your Bibles open. Uh, you need to follow along as we go and make sure I'm not making this up. Well, there are times when origins matter. Uh, sometimes it matters where someone was born, where something was found, where something was made or where something was learned. For example, origins matter if you're running for US president. Just ask Obama. Origins matter if your farmhand suddenly turns up with a huge nugget of gold and you've found a suspicious hole in one of your paddocks. And origins matter if you're an art dealer and you're trying to figure out if you've got a Picasso or a Picasso that someone's made in their back shed. Origins matter if you're a detective and you're trying to, decide, uh, you're trying to figure out the difference between eyewitness account and hearsay that's been passed on. See, sometimes origins really do matter, don't they? Sometimes they matter. And nowhere do origins matter more than the origin of the gospel, the origin of the claims about Jesus. Because where they come from makes the difference between them being of inestimable value or absolutely worthless. See, the good news about Jesus, it doesn't still stand up if its origin is not in truth. It's a message that claims exclusivity, that it is the only way to be right with God. It's a message that has claims eternal significance, that whether or not you receive this message will affect you for all eternity. It's a message that claims to bring us into fellowship with Almighty God. And so as Paul wrote to the Galatians and, and also through them to us, Paul knew that in this world of completing, competing claims, he knew that a man-made claim, a man-made gospel, a man-made message is no good news at all. See, if the origin of what Paul is preaching comes from people dreamed up in someone's bathtub then it's worthless and it should be flushed out with the bathwater. see if it is man-made anyone who bases their life on this message is just as confused as someone who walks around king's cross station in london looking for platform nine and three quarters for the hogwarts express it matters where this message comes from. It matters. See, if it is, however, not from man, if the origin of the message that Paul preaches is from God, well, then it's a totally different story, isn't it? It means that for every single human on the face of this planet, we need to face up to the gospel and we need to recognise it for what it is, the truth of God. 
See, if the origin is God, it's absolutely good. Jesus really did die. He really did rise. He really did deal with the problem that we had between us and God that was caused from our rebellion. He really has provided rescue for all who trust in him. And so here in these paragraphs, right near the front of this letter, Paul gives proof that his message is good news. Proof that his message isn't man-made. He gives proof that his message carries authority because it originates from God himself. So first point this morning, the origin of Paul's gospel. Have a look back at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And the following verses, 13 and 14, they allude to Paul's previous life. Uh, Paul was, he was part of an uh, elite uh, group of people, uh, actually the elite group of uh, Jews who had arranged for Jesus to be killed. And Paul was a bit of a rising star, a bit of a protege coming up through the ranks. And uh, he was on his way to arrest Christians, throw them in prison, have them flogged and beaten. And he was doing everything he could to try and squash and kill the Christian church. He was doing everything he could to try and crush this new message that was getting out. And so as we look at Paul in his previous way of life, we're not looking at someone who is gullible and just kind of could get persuaded by anything. We're not looking at someone who was wanting to become a Christian. We're not looking at an easy convert. No, for Paul, turning to Jesus meant giving up everything that had mattered to him for his entire life. It meant giving up his status, his career, his reputation, probably his family and his friends and his community that he was part of. But what do you do when the person who your own colleagues had had killed suddenly turns up alive. The one that you know through so many witnesses actually died and was buried suddenly stands in front of you on the road. What do you do with that? Well, for Paul, he came face to face with the origin of the Christian faith, Jesus the Christ. He realized that Jesus is no imposter and he changes his life. And so Paul gives us a little account of what he does straight after this, straight after he meets Jesus. Uh, It seems a little bit just like trivia, you know, it's just one of those things, it's easy to read through the Bible and just pay no attention. But actually, he gives us some really important facts. Verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. See, the apostles were the people that Jesus had chosen. He had given them the message. He had trained them and spent years with them. And they were the ones that he had given the task of going out 
and spreading the message that Jesus is the Christ and that he will rescue people from this evil age. And Paul hadn't been one of these apostles. He hadn't spent the years travelling and eating and talking and walking with Jesus. And you'd think, wouldn't you? Or I would think that when Paul had his experience, the first place he would go would be to these apostles, to these first-hand witnesses. God's just chosen him as an apostle. Why wouldn't he go in there and say, okay, guys, what do we do? Help me out here. I kind of missed the... uh, I missed the first classes. But Paul doesn't. He goes in the other direction. Uh, After three years, we see there, he spent just a fortnight with one of them. But it's actually 14 whole years from when Paul meets Jesus till he finally comes into Jerusalem to stand before the other apostles for them to check the message that he's been preaching for the past 14 years. And he, he goes in there, we see in verse 1, to check that he's got it right. And in the following verses, we see the other apostles give their verdict. After 14 years, they pretty much just pat Paul on the back, say, keep up the good work, it's all good so far, keep going. And Paul stresses here, doesn't he, that they don't change anything. They don't say, oh, there's just a few points we want to correct you on, a few things you've got wrong. They don't add anything to the message that Paul is already preaching. They make no demands of him. They don't take anything away. They don't say, you've got this wrong, cut this out. They don't say, well, you need to add this, put this in. Actually, we read here that they acknowledge that it was Jesus who has given Paul the authority and the responsibility as one of Jesus' apostles to take the message of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. They send him out as one of them. Now, if we stop and think about it, that's quite incredible, really. Now, I just want you to just imagine for a second, uh, you know, if you will, that you're off to uni and uh, you're going to a very prestigious course. Uh, There's the only one in the world uh, with a very special uh, professor. It's it's paint chemistry with Professor Langkild. Uh, It's a one-time only deal. Uh, See, uh, after teaching only one cohort, he actually retired on his exorbitant lecturer's salary and went sailing around the world. Uh, But it's a three-year degree. And you start at Paint Chemistry 101 and you go all the way through to Year 3 and you finish your degree and you go off to work at Dulux. After a little while, you hear of some other person who starts working at one of the other Dulux labs. And, and this person, you've never met before, but they claim to have studied under Professor Langkild as well. You think, hang on, this person wasn't at the classes. They weren't even living in the same state. They were one of those cursed New South Welshmen. <laughs> but you hear that the work they're doing is good. Uh, you hear uh, that they, they seem to know what they're doing. And after a few years of hearing about this person working away at the other lab, finally they get transferred to your lab. And you and all of the other graduates of Professor Langkild, you're keen to suss out this imposter. Who is this person that claims they studied under him? He can't have studied under him. We were there. He only did one course. 
But then after grilling them for months on end, you discover that this person seems to know all the little trade secrets that Professor Langkjord had passed on, things that he'd invented himself and no one else knew about. They know all the professor's jokes. They reminisce about his steady lack of expression when talking about, well, pretty much anything. <laughs> and uh, you figure out after a while, even though you're not quite sure when or how, yeah, this person's legit. They really did study under Professor Langkjord. Now, just put that back to Paul here. See, if Paul had have heard the gospel secondhand, if his message had have come through anyone other than Jesus, can you imagine after 14 years just how many differences there would have been when he came back to the apostles to have his message checked? You think about it. We're not just talking about kind of a bare bones Okay, Paul, tell us the gospel. Well, Jesus died and he rose again. Okay, good, you're in. You know, we're not talking about a really simple basics. We're talking about a mature, in-depth, complex tapestry of the teachings and implications that Jesus is Lord. We're talking about a message and a depth that could only have been learned from the Master himself. See, what we have here that Paul gives to us is proof that the message that he teaches is not man-made, but its origin is Jesus himself. And so to the Galatian church, the Galatian church who was confused about who to trust, who to listen to, Paul lays down his credentials. Paul is legit. Forget these other imposters with their perverted man-made gospel. Paul's gospel is from God. And here, we also get our first insight to what this man-made so-called good news was. This so-called good news that these other teachers had slipped in and were perverting and confusing the Galatians with. And we, we hear a little bit about it because the Galatians aren't the first ones to have heard this false gospel. See, there in chapter 2, verse 1, we see that actually this very same perversion, this very same false gospel, had cropped up back in Jerusalem. Have a look at verse 1. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in for them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. There's a lot of really important stuff to unpack here. I just want to two really important things well first as i've just mentioned that we, we see here what the particular issue the particular false gospel was that the galatians were dealing with but secondly here paul actually gives us an insight into the nature of all man-made gospels so point to the false gospel that was confusing the galatians 
Well, as the good news of Jesus spread to non-Jews, to the Gentile world, there were false believers who were trying to force these new Christians to adopt Jewish practices, to convert to Judaism. They're saying, look, you know, you follow Jesus, that's not enough. To, To really follow Jesus, you have to actually become a Jew. It's not good enough for you to stay Gentile and follow Jesus. You you need to be circumcised. You need to get involved in all of the Jewish practices. Now, for those who don't know, circumcision is, it was a sign uh, of being a Jew that God had given the Israelites thousands of years before Jesus. It was a sign of the old covenant, the old treaty, the old agreement that God had made with Israel. And these false believers had slipped in, these imposters were making it a requirement of following Jesus. But the thing was, that actually misunderstood what God had said in the Old Testament. Because all through the Old Testament, as God promised that one day he would bless all nations and he would bring Gentiles into God's people, God wasn't promising to make Gentiles become Jews and bring them into the Old Covenant. God had actually promised that he would make a new covenant. A new covenant. He would bring Jews and Gentiles into a new covenant, not the old one. And this circumcision group had missed that. This circumcision group was perverting the gospel. And so here, Paul is saying to the Galatians, Hey, when these guys showed up back in Jerusalem, not only did I oppose it, but all of us did. All 13 of us apostles opposed this false teaching. And further down when, uh, in, in our passage, when Paul tells us that even Peter, or Cephas as Jesus nicknamed him, even when later on Peter was confused and led astray by a similar reliance on Jewish cu- customs, Even then, to a fellow apostle, Paul just calls it bluntly. Paul says to Peter in these verses, to try to force non-Jewish Christians to follow Jewish customs is actually hypocrisy and it's not in line with the gospel. It's not in line with the gospel. And here we learn something about every false gospel don't we as soon as we take jesus and faith in jesus alone as the as the way that we are saved and become god's people as soon as we add something else to that we've actually removed faith in jesus as the one thing haven't we as soon as we add additional rules and requirements we've actually destroyed the gospel which says that we come by faith alone We only receive and we're part of God's people. See, Jesus himself gave us only one requirement, didn't he? He said, whoever believes in the Son will not perish but have eternal life. So if we go around saying, you know, whoever believes and gets circumcised or whoever believes and abstains from certain food and drink, or whoever believes and speaks in tongues, or and stops sinning for the rest of their lives, whoever believes and anything, 
you've actually lost the gospel altogether. You actually are making the claim, whether you realise it or not, that Jesus was wrong when he said, whoever believes shall have eternal life. And not only that, but Peter and Paul and all of the other apostles, the Jewish Christians, they weren't relying on their circumcision to be saved. They weren't relying on Jewish customs to be saved. How hypocritical to expect non-Jews to start relying on those things. Paul and the apostles didn't give in to this false teaching back in Jerusalem because they knew that if they didn't, the truth of the gospel would be lost. Jesus plus equals no Jesus. But not only did Paul here reveal the particular false gospel confusing the Galatians, as I said, he teaches us the stark truth about all false gospels. Point three, the nature of all man-made gospels. Verse four. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. I don't know question for you i want an answer you know uh it's not a rhetorical you know participation where do you think and where do you expect most attacks on the church will come from where do you think i heard lots of things sorry i told you to all answer and you did it was fantastic i just couldn't hear any of it (laughs) i heard a few it was within yep outside inside yep well, you've all answered right. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to answer wrong. So I can go, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've always had this kind of sense that, you know, attacks come from outside. It's silly, really, because Jesus keeps telling us that they all come from within. But here is a reminder. And, you know, I think even if we know that, still I think, you know, we expect that within the church it's okay and attacks will come from outside. And I think often we're because of our we haven't really believed the seriousness of what jesus has taught us and what paul teaches us here that attacks will come from within i think often we we kind of miss them when they come we don't notice them we don't deal with them uh, appropriately and it's hard isn't it because there's nothing more painful uh, than the attacks coming from within there's nothing more painful than seeing someone we love who is part of us and yet realising that there is a problem, there is a rift, there is a serious issue. Now, the attack in Jerusalem and the attack in Galatia had come from within. False believers who had infiltrated. Now, I don't think this was probably deliberate. I'm sure there are people, you know, sometimes there are predators who do very very much manoeuvre themselves into the life of the church in order, uh, to, in order to cause trouble. And I know that sometimes there are the, those calculating scam artists uh, who become televangelists and uh, fleece people of their coin. Or, yeah, I'm sure there are some people, some false uh, believers, who know that they're false believers. But I think a lot of the time, I think a lot of the time they don't. I think a lot of the time the attacks from within 
are people who think they're saved. They think they're, they're convicted of their beliefs. They think they've got it right. But it's out of their confusion that they confuse others. It might be forceful, like the, gen- the circumcision group who are saying, you must or else you are not a Christian. Or it might be gentle. It might just be that gentle undermining that, oh, it's, it's not really like that. It's the, no, I think it's like this. But we need to be aware that there will be wolves that look like sheep. Now, I want to say this really carefully because I don't want us to be a church just walking around, you know, looking at everyone suspiciously, you know, are you a wolf, you know? like it's <laughs> We don't want to be going around doing that. We must just gently be on alert, be on our guard for teaching that is not in line with the message we've been given here in the scriptures. We want to be people who, when we hear something that's off, who gently and lovingly talk to our brother and sister and, and, and rebuke each other and call each other into line and call each other back to the true gospel because we all need that. And then the test becomes, well, how do they respond? Because those who aren't wolves, those who are just confused for a while, they'll repent, they'll return to the gospel and they're obviously sheep. But those who don't, those who persist in a false gospel, well, they're the wolves. And we must not give in to them for a moment, says Paul. And one thing that will help us really take a stand and see the importance of this is to grasp what Paul says next. Because Paul says here in verse 4 that every perversion, every fake, distorted, uh, fake gospel is actually like an assassin to our freedom. An assassin to our freedom. See, every gospel that does not have its origin in God will bring us into slavery. The gospel of God brings us into freedom. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Every man-made gospel, whatever it is, no matter even if it's sort of sold as being more free, more liberating, Actually, the irony is that any man-made gospel just brings us back into slavery. It robs us of the freedom that we have in Christ. At the end of the day, only the gospel of God brings freedom. Any other message enslaves us to sin and to the law that Jesus frees us from. We're going to spend a fair bit of time next week actually thinking about the difference there between law and grace, the freedom that we have in Christ. I'm really excited and I hope you are too. But the good news of God is the only good news. It's the only one that brings freedom. Well, as we did last week, I just want to pause and just take time to address uh, a few false gospels, a few things that I think are quite prevalent in the church throughout the world and, uh, and here in Australia. Um, I'm going to lump a few together in what I'm going to call the New Apostle False Gospel. Now, over the past 2,000 odd years since Jesus, there have been just, you know, innumerable numbers of claims of new apostles. Numerous people who have come out and said, I have an authoritative message from God. Whether it's come through a vision 
through some fancy glasses, through some disappearing gold tablets. The world and history is full of so-called new apostles who have a new message from God with authority of God and we must listen to them. But here, Paul gives us a helpful little test, a helpful little proof of his apostleship and of any apostleship. See, not only did Paul receive his message straight from Jesus himself, but that message was also confirmed by the other apostles who had obviously, clearly, undeniably received their message from Jesus himself. Paul as apostle was affirmed by those apostles who had lived and learned with Jesus during his time on the earth. And the second part of that is that his message perfectly matched. There was nothing new, nothing novel, nothing contradictory and nothing missing. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul names seeing the risen Lord as a requirement for an apostle. Now, of course, uh, any new apostle will actually claim that, won't they? I saw Jesus. Jesus taught me this himself. Uh, Where do you go with that? Well, actually, Paul the Apostle was verified by the other apostles. And Paul's message received in isolation from the other apostles, but perfectly matching, actually confirmed that he really was an apostle who had met the risen Jesus. But it's interesting, isn't it, that ever since the original apostles died, there's no longer any possibility of confirming apostolic uh, any further any further apostles. See, there's no way now of having any new apostle come to the original apostles to be confirmed. And not only this, but I think if we look back over the history of these so-called apostles, they pretty uniformly teach a different gospel. They pretty normally, uh, pretty uniformly come up with something new something novel, something contradictory, something missing or removed. It isn't the same message that Paul and the other apostles preached. And so we will be tempted. The idea of someone having a new revelation from God sounds quite appealing, doesn't it? Something fresh. But I want to encourage us, all it will do is bring us into slavery and out of the freedom that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the gospel Paul preached was not made up.